Hi, this is Rolanda Watson. Welcome to Rolanda On Demand. In this episode, I want to talk about depression because I think we're all still reeling from the deaths, the suicides of Anthony Bourdain and Kate Spade. As of the time of recording this podcast, the late Anthony Bourdain, it is said, had shown signs of depression, had even admitted to it in one of his shows. We thought it almost, if you listen to it, it sounds like he was joking. But in hindsight, you see, as he was talking with his therapist, that there was a lot more to this conversation that has now come to light. Tony talks about how he felt isolated, felt like a freak, how simple things set him off. So, Tony, what brought you here? What brought me here? Uh, Well, things have been happening. Like, uh, I will find myself in an airport, for instance, and I'll order an airport hamburger. It's an insignificant thing. It's a small thing. It's a hamburger. But it's not a good one. Suddenly, I look at the hamburger and I find myself in a spiral of depression that can last for days. George Orwell said something that really upset me. He talked about human beings are essentially tubes into which we shove food. Mm-hmm. And this is my job. I travel around the world with these people and and they turn on the cameras. And then for a certain period of time, my job is to shove food into my face. I feel like a, a Kazimoto, the hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. If, if, if he stayed in nice hotel suites with high thread count sheets, that would be me. I feel kind of like a freak, and I feel very isolated. I communicate for a living, but I'm terrible at communicating with people I care about. There's the evil cheeseburger that sets me off, and yeah. the evil hamburger. Suddenly I'm super depressed for days. It's like that with the good stuff, too. I have a couple of happy minutes there where I'm thinking, ah, oh, life is pretty good. Let's talk about recognizing and overcoming depression today on Rolanda On Demand. Who knows? Together, we might save a life. It's road time. Welcome to Rolanda On Demand. I love my podcast because we not only tackle the tough issues of the day, but we deal with hot topics, celebrity interviews, and information that can help you in your business or relationships. This is Rolanda On Demand. Hey there, thank you so much for joining me today. I know there's so many other things that you could be doing, but I'm just glad that you chose to take me along with you today. A day when we are still reeling over the deaths, the sudden deaths, the suicide deaths of Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain. I tell you, every day I'm reminded about Kate Spade at least her art she leaves behind, and I hold it in my hand as my iPhone case is a Kate Spade case, and it's full of roses, and it's pretty, and she brings out the girly girly in me, and I get so many compliments. I just bought a pair of white loafers that were Kate Spade. So cute with a little ruffle on them. But here's the other thing. You know, I was in New York City uh, becoming a big businesswoman, being an anchor woman and a talk show host, back in the day in the 90s, at the same time, because Kate Spade and I are around the same age group, um, she was becoming this big fashion mogul, you know? She was having these designs that were so... I mean, she used to have what we used to call the have-to-have bag. 
and Kate Spade had the you had the perfect little purse. Remember that girls in the nineties? Child Miss Kate Spade came on the scene with these bright colored, pretty little purses, and everybody knew, oh, that's a Kate Spade. That was you know when branding was just starting to come out. But here she was, this vibrant young woman, and uh, making a a stamp in business, selling her business, billion dollar business, billion dollar babe. I mean, who would ever dream? I so admired Kate Spade, her purses and shoes and now iPhone cases. And I really, wow, she touched my life. I wish I could have touched hers. Who would dream that somebody that creative who made such happy stuff and makes me and so many gazillion other people around the world so happy and she made billions would kill herself, would be depressed and leave a young daughter behind and more, whole family, fans. I I look at Anthony Bourdain now. That one got me. You see, I've often called Anthony Bourdain my TV husband. I would give anything to travel with him on a film crew and eat weird things and drink cold beer. You know, I would tweet him and say, hey, you're my TV crush, hashtag TV crush. Then when I saw he had a girlfriend, I I just tweeted him, wow, lucky girl. But I still have a hashtag TV crush. (laughs) I would binge on his show and couldn't wait for the next season and the next season. And I love that when they do those special moments, you know, where they catch everybody up and they showed little nuggets of all of his travels in the season. And that was the last season. I don't know. I I just can't imagine taking my life. He too leaving a, a young girl behind. You know, people, I think, make the mistake of thinking, well, if I take my life, life will be better for everybody else. And that's just not true. Because what it took you just a couple of seconds to do, a person has to deal with for a lifetime. I've been talking with friends of mine who um, have witnessed uh, suicide in their own families and and what the effect that has. Uh, We'll be talking with them as I want to do some specials um, dedicating to depression, mental health, um, and, of course, suicide. You know, I've been very transparent all along that I come from a family of suicide. Um, My grandfather took his own life. You know, back then they didn't say things like depression and mental health was very different. But I wonder, um, you know, I don't know if he had that, but I know that he was very ill. He had lung cancer and he sat himself in his favorite chair and shot himself in the lung that was infected. And I just think that, you know, he was such a proud man and... um, you know, we didn't talk about things like this back then. There was no counseling for, for things. And he just couldn't, I believe he couldn't uh, bear with his wife being, uh, having to depend on her. So, I, you know, there's all kinds of different things about depression. What is startling is that the numbers are spiking in suicide. And, of course, that comes after about a long bout of depression. See, you know, listen, I am a cancer. So I am very emotional and I cry and I get dramatic and I get a little depressed. 
Now, when, what do you do when you get depressed? I, I don't know about you, but I go to sleep. If I'm sleeping, like, because I'm always up, but if I'm sleeping like three days, I'm in bed and I'm watching movies and eating, I'm a little depressed, but I just let it work itself out because I think that's natural. And I just think sleeping helps you work out your problems, so I go to sleep and eat. <laughs> but um, I come out of it. And I think that's what we're learning is that that depression is that feeling of hopelessness, that lack of energy. You know, I've talked to people uh, who you're going to hear from in, in this little series we're going to do dealing with these issues. They couldn't snap out of it. They just sl- they, they slept for weeks. One lady talks about how she stayed in bed for a year. And um, it's just, uh, it's it's a learning curve for all of us. But I believe if we talk about it and we understand these things, then maybe we can help somebody because you never know. You might be in a situation where you might have to talk somebody off a bridge. So let's deal with the issue of depression and how to overcome it. You're going to hear today some fascinating stories from an actress who had depression after she uh, was dealing with unrequited love and being fired from a soap opera, how she dealt with that severe depression. You're going to hear from an author who says there are natural remedies for depression, and she's going to tell us about, I guess you would call it, nature's Prozac. And we're going to talk with a man who wrote the book called Overcoming Depression, how to recognize the signs and how and what to do uh, when you figure out that that you you know you're dealing with it because let me tell you forget the stigma not here on the row show honey we're gonna deal with it because look I I like I said I I understand suicide that's been in my family some say it some say it runs in families um, some say depression runs in families we're gonna talk to a mother and daughter today so um please uh, stay in contact because I want to know if there are questions that you have as we're doing this series. Just hit me up on Facebook and Twitter and uh, LinkedIn and Insta. I'm at Rolanda Watts. That's R-O-L-O-N-D-A-W-A-T-T-S at Rolanda Watts on social media. And you can always write me at Rolanda at Rolanda.com. things that fascinates me is that some things never change and it's unbelievable that we also dealt with depression oh gosh back in the 90s when I was doing the Rolanda talk show and a lot hasn't changed and so I want to do a little something today called in the vault and this is where I am going to dig into the archives of the Rolanda show and show you how relevant Some things remain. You know, every now and then we all get what what many of us call the blues. We feel sad or depressed because we're going through something that's emotionally difficult or just emotionally painful. A death in the family might be, or a relationship breaks up, or maybe your kid is having problems in school. Whatever it is, all of us at some time or another feel a little low. But as time goes by, if you're still asking yourself, why don't I ever feel happy? Then you may be suffering from depression. On today's show, we're going to find out what depression is, how to overcome it, and we're going to meet a woman who, after coming to grips with her own severe depression, discovered that her preteen daughter was also suffering from the same illness. 
We're also going to talk with a woman who became addicted to alcohol and drugs, all in an attempt to deal with her depressive episodes. And when all other therapies fail, some say that electroshock therapy is, is something to use. It's become a popular treatment. In fact, some have had miraculous results, but others have said that it has ruined their lives. But for the majority of women, our bouts with depression are not severe enough to require anything so drastic. Often the symptoms are so mild or so short-lived that we never even see help. We don't even talk about it. In fact, we try to work through it on our own. I know all of you soap opera fans may remember actress Ellen Holly, who for 17 years played Carla Hall in the soap opera One Life to Live. It is never all over when you've been married to somebody. I'm talking about now. I'm talking about us. The crisis we are facing. And the one you want to run from, huh? Well, let me tell you something. If the situation were reversed, I wouldn't be jumping ship. I can't help it. I'm not any good to you the way I am now. I'm only making you feel worse instead of better. And I'm sorry about that, but I really can't help it. My feelings are my feelings. Mm. Like many women, Ellen had her own personal tragedies that brought on emotional confusion and bouts of depression as she tried to deal in real life with her feelings. Ellen recently wrote her life story in her book, One Life, the Autobiography of an African-American Actress. Please welcome Miss Ellen Holly. Thank you. particular clip you were depressed and saying that my feelings are my feelings and obviously going through some emotional trauma you were going through a lot of that in real life too yes uh-huh I have from time to time suffered very severe depressions but there was always a reason for them they always surrounded some un unbearable loss of some kind the, the death of people in my family um, and uh, a couple of times when men I cared about <laughs> went walking off in the sunset with somebody else. Honey, I think a lot of women can relate to that. <laughs> in your book, though, and a lot of women went, yes, out there. I know. That, I think that's when a lot of women do get depressed in relationships. Yes. In your book, you speak very honestly about some of the relationships that you've had with some well-known men, i.e. Uh, Harry Belafonte. Yes. And was that, I take it, well, that was a breakup that certainly plunged you into depression. Well, the, the problem with that was that was somebody that I loved very, very much, but I, I was not able to act on my feelings because he was a married man with children. Mm -hmm. And so I felt that I couldn't even be anything but a friend. Mm -hmm. And I, it was a, there was a, there was a very strong mutual attraction, but I, thought that that was absolutely taboo, so I pulled myself out of his life. And a little bit further down the road, I mean, I would have nothing to do with any kind of, I, I didn't even kiss him, although I considered him the great love of my life, I didn't even kiss him. And a couple of years down the line, another lady came along who saw things a little bit differently, and he divorced his first wife, and he married her. Uh, and the problem is, when you give up your feelings, in your own feelings, in order to protect another woman's marriage, you have made a profound investment in that marriage. So when that marriage broke up anyway, 
and when those children lost their father anyway, I, I felt like I had given up my own life for nothing. Because he didn't choose you. Not because he didn't choose me. He didn't have the chance to choose me. So you got depressed because of life choices? I got depressed because I had given up my own feelings in order to preserve another woman's marriage, and then her marriage collapsed. So I felt I had given up my own life for nothing. How did you, ex how did you display that deep depression? I mean, did you ever get to a point where you considered taking your life? No. I, one of the depressions that I was also also was very, very severe, was some many, many years later when I lost a job. Not, we can go into that, not just a job, but the job, the job of my career, that one life that we have all been talking about. In both cases, I got myself out of my depression by writing. And uh, I, I, I would suggest it to absolutely anybody. You have one story inside of you everybody and that is the story of your life and in the course of writing the story of your life the most extraordinary things happen all of the things that you have internalized and that make you depressed as you pull them out of your body and put them here in the forefront of your brain in order to clarify them and organize them and analyze them so that you can put them down on a piece of paper in the act of processing all of those feelings, just like anything that's processed, whether it's food or whether it is an experience, it becomes transformed. And all of the things that have been in here and have caused so much pain and corroded your insides and all of this stuff, just like a, a spider pulling all the gooey stuff out of them in order to spin this remarkable web, or, some, or an oyster that somebody is, the irritant of a grain of sand is put there and he started to coat it and coat it and coat it and turn it into a pearl. Mm. All of the things you have experienced that you cannot handle as you begin to process them in this fashion, they become transformed. It's almost like alchemy. It's almost like turning brass into gold. Let's talk about that because I don't think people really realize what you went through the day that you were fired from One Life to Live after 17 years, a glorious career, and the way it was done. Let's talk yeah. about that because I think that would plunge just about anybody into some deep depression. We're going yeah. to talk more with Ellen Holly, and we're going to meet some other women who have suffered with varying degrees of depression, maybe like some of you watching. So if you haven't been feeling very happy lately and you wonder if you may be depressed, stay tuned as we talk about depression and how to overcome it on today's Rolanda. We'll be right back. I'm Rolanda Watts, and I am playing right now a very special edition of the Rolanda Show from back in the 90s when I had an internationally syndicated talk show on television. It seems a lot hasn't changed. <laughs> we were talking about depression back then as well. And so I thought it was really relevant to play this uh, to play this show again. Uh, coming up, we're going to have some natural remedies to help us fight depression in our everyday lives and more on uh, being able to recognize depression. Please be sure and hit the follow button and follow the show, and we'll be right back after this. Hey, be sure and follow me in social media at Rolanda Watts. That's R-O-L-O-N-D-A at Rolanda Watts 
on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. I can't wait to see you in social media. It's Rolanda. What would you tell a little kid who's trying to deal with their weight issue? I'm just like this. Listen up. Listen up. You're doing real great. When you're losing weight, be real cool. If you just move. <laughs> There's more Rolanda next. Talk, listen, connect. You know, it's interesting. I was just thinking that I deal with depression in my novel, Destiny Lingers, when Destiny is plunged into this depth of depression after a bad breakup. You know, it's, uh, I think it's something that we have all experienced feeling very depressed and down. But what we're learning today is that that depression that is uh, so serious is the one where people begin to feel hopeless and they never come out of it. Find out what happens when destiny is plunged into depression. I have a great summer read for you. It's Destiny Lingers. It's endorsed by Dr. Maya Angelou. It's an interracial romance story, but it deals with all kinds of emotions and depression is one of them. It also deals with race and class and a bunch of other uh, really juicy topics, and I hope you'll pick it up as you're traveling around this summer or laying on the beach. Please let me come with you on my podcast and with my novel. Just have a row summer. Take me with you everywhere. <laughs> now let's get back to our Rolanda from the vault. You know, it just blows me away that we were talking about these same very topics 20-something years ago, y'all. So much has stayed the same, and some things have gotten worse, like suicide, uh, which seems to be the aftermath of a long bout of, of um, depression that wasn't treated. Uh, suicide is now not only a mental health issue, it is a public health issue, with the numbers on the rise since we did this show back during the Rolanda Show days. But the information is still valid and still relevant, and that's why I'm bringing it back to you. Plus, it's nice to just check back into the 1990s and the Rolanda show every once in a while. Coming up, we've got Judith Sachs. She is an author, and she says that there's some natural remedies to fight depression. She has a book called Nature's Prozac, and she spoke with us. Also, a man who wrote the book Overcoming Depression. That coming up right now on Rolanda from the vault, overcoming depression. Wow. I mean, how many times have you said, gosh, I just don't feel good today, and I don't understand why I'm not feeling so happy. I think all of us go through days when we feel bouts of depression, some more than others. We've been talking with actress Ellen Holly, who led such a glamorous life on One Life to Live, but like many of us, she had too has had bouts of depression brought on by personal tragedies. One was a breakup, well, not even a breakup, but an, not, well, losing a love to another woman who happened to be Harry Belafonte, so that, that is, certainly was a lot of publicity you probably had to deal with, too. And also, the loss of a job on One Life to Live after 17 years, yeah. one day you say suddenly, boom, you were fired. What happened? Well, I came to the soap from 16 years in the theater that had been thrilling. Um... I made my Broadway debut opposite Barry Sullivan and Lee Strasberg and Ilya Kazan had chosen me for Actors Studio. I was Joe Papp's favorite actress in those years and did half of the women in the Shakespearean canon. But the theater does not pay, so it was financially terrifying. 
So when the soap came along after 16 years of struggle in the theater, it seemed like an absolute miracle. And we were the first blacks, we played, we stepped into the first black roles that had ever been created in the history of daytime television. So we were signed to the contract that were only a year because everybody expected to, to self-destruct. It went through the roof and the public, God bless the public, they so warmly embraced the characters that we lasted for 17 years. And by the time 17 years came around, Lillian Heyman, the magnificent Tony Award-winning actress who was my mother, and I looked around, and we were the only originals on the show. And all out there in soap opera land, originals are kept to the grave. Fran Heflin, Connie Ford, uh, Emily McLaughlin, John Berardino, they all originals die on their shows. So Lillian and I got ourselves all set to be there till the grave. And then I had just felt financially strong enough to adopt a child. I wanted to adopt a little girl. And then a new, so I got myself all set for this wonderful life and this daughter I was going to have. And this fourth producer, new producer, came on the show, called me up to the office, and with no frills whatsoever said to me, when your contract's up, I'm dropping you. You're just not worth it to me. And I was finished. Uh, my last day of work, I went out with armfuls of flowers, all from my fellow actors. The people that I had worked for didn't even say goodbye. That was the end of it, just when your contract's up, you're finished, and out the door. So I went home and went into a depression that was so severe, it was just next to being a corpse. But something about my actress's intuition told me that what was happening was healthy because I was processing so many emotions. I was processing panic because I knew I was staring financial penury in the face, mm -hmm. uh, rage at the barbarity with which I had been fired. I experienced it as a kind of a, the death of the daughter. I didn't, I felt like I lost a daughter and I experienced it like a death. And I understand that you laid in the bed for one year, year depressed and did nothing. We have two incredible experts on depression. There have to be experts on depression, I guess, for, for, for women and men who go through these types of life tragedies. They're here to help us understand what depression is, how to deal with it. I'd like you to meet health writer and educator Judith Sachs and author of the book Nature's Prozac. She's going to give us some natural remedies and alternatives to help break the bonds of depression. Also joining us is Dr. Dimitri Papalas. And he is the author of the book, Overcoming Depression. And Dr. Popolis is a psychiatrist who has treated depression. What is depression? Is there a difference between being very, very sad and being depressed? Uh, yes, Rhonda, there, there, there is a difference. There's a great difference. Most of us go through periods of time during uh, our lives where we'll, we're sad for a day or two often in response to the usual losses that occur uh, during our lives. Um, but some people who are uh, more predisposed to uh, developing clinical depressions uh, um, have more of a response, um, particularly to uh, losses, separations. Um, and um, basically, there's a set of symptoms that develop 
um, that can last for as long as a year or more. Uh, but uh, the clinical depression is really defined as having a period of two weeks where you uh, are sad or irritable uh, in terms of your mood, where there's a change in your sleep cycle, where there's insomnia, or uh, what's called hypersomnia, sleeping too much, not being able to get up out of bed in the morning. Uh, there is often an appetite change uh, where you lose your appetite and lose weight, or you uh, increase your appetite and develop a craving for sweets or carbohydrates and gain weight. Um, often during those periods of depression, there is a, a, a dramatic uh, decrease in concentration uh, and energy uh, and a loss of motivation uh, to, do, to do things. The cardinal symptom of depression, though, is uh, what's called anhedonia. And that symptom uh, basically means a loss of uh, interest in things that would ordinarily give you interest. You just can't you know, feel pleasure about anything, and you can't imagine that there will ever be a time in your life that you will feel pleasure again. How do you know when you have gotten to severe depression? Is that when it goes beyond two weeks? Well, that's the current definition. I mean, that's somewhat arbitrary, but if it, if it goes for two weeks and you have that group of symptoms together, uh, then um, you can start thinking about uh, seeing somebody that can evaluate you and, uh, and uh, help you with the depression. So therapy is one way, but Dr. Sachs, when we come back, is going to tell us about some natural remedies. We're also going to meet a woman who, after coming to grips with her own severe depression, suddenly discovered if her, her preteen daughter was also clinically depressed as well, and even having suicidal thoughts. So it can run in fam families. How do we get out? We'll find that out from you, Dr. Sachs, when we come back. We'll be right back in a minute. Listening to Sundays with Rolanda, and today we're talking about depression, how to recognize it, how to understand it, and maybe how to prevent another horrible situation like what we witnessed this uh, past week. Can we recognize it? These are the things we're talking about today, and I'm sharing a retro row edition of the Rolanda show back in the 90s when we were talking about depression back then, too. It seems the information is still good and still relevant today. with women today about depression, what it is, how to overcome it, and signals to look out for in case you too are suffering from it. Uh, Jude, you have also studied um, some natural remedies to getting over depression. And before we talk about that, let me bring in a, a couple of other folks who have dealt with depression in their family, mother-daughter style, two generations, if you will. Most of us have experienced a, a mild depression that may last a few weeks, but there are millions of women who live in a permanent state of severe depression, and the majority, like 75%, go untreated. Leslie Garris is a freelance writer. She's well-known for her New York Times magazine profiles. Leslie had struggled for years with clinical depression, when then she discovered that her youngest daughter, Kat, then only 11 years old, was also suffering from the same disease. Tell me how you discovered that you were suffering from, how did you know it was severe depression? At what point did you know this is something, this is real trouble? Well, I think that, um, 
I, I, I'm someone who, as I was growing up and in college and first working, I always had a lot of energy. I was very motivated, very goal-oriented. Um, and I gradually began to just, I suppose I might say I began to sort of fade in a strange way. Um, I, I had less energy, but it came on so slowly over such a long period of time that it took me a very long time. What happens is I think that you can, you, you get used to one level and then you get to another level and you see it in comparison with your previous level, but not in comparison with the energetic, happy person that you used to be. You kind of forget that that happened. And I, I was really ill over, I mean, extremely ill over a period of about 10 years. and. One day, and I was in psychotherapy with a wonderful man, but who was not a doctor. He, he was a PhD, and he was wonderful. And there were a lot of reasons why I could have been depressed, I suppose, from a Freudian point of view. We went through my childhood, and I thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm beginning to understand things. And I did understand a lot, and I think that he certainly helped me. But he didn't cure me, and I was getting deeper and deeper and deeper into it. And I was standing in the kitchen one day, and... Um, my son Alex, who's here today, was probably um, maybe 13 or something. And I said to him, I, I felt happy. About a half an hour ago, I had a moment where I, where I really felt good. And he said, Mom, most people feel good. And maybe they have moments where they feel bad. And I think you're much sicker than you realize. And I think you really have to go see another doctor. And it was a funny thing because I'd sort of known it. But it snapped something in me. And How did you raise children being depressed for 10 years? Well, I think that um, I had a rather large life when I began to be depressed, which is to say I went out a lot, I worked, I, was, I had a, a, a wonderful relationship with my husband, which, by the way, stayed, and I'm still happily married, but, um, and I had children. And what happened was that gradually everything got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And what I was finally able to do was get my children off to school, get the laundry done, and see about dinner. That was about it. I finally got so I couldn't even answer the phone or go to the mailbox. But for some reason or other, and I think that it's something to do with women, you have this instinct. I mean, I felt like a lioness or something, where no matter what happens, I mean, I would die for my children, I think. I think most of us who have children feel that way. And I think you get to a point where you are almost there, but you still do the kids. And yeah. it's, I can't explain it except that, that it was instinct or something. Kat, it passed on to you, and when we come back, I want to, I want to talk with you about how you dealt with depression. You were only 11 years old, and here you'd watched your mother go through depression probably most of your life. And the next thing you know, you're the one also severely depressed. We're also going to meet a woman who became addicted to speed and alcohol just to self-medicate her chronic depressive episodes. And also, how do you get out of it naturally? We'll be right back in a minute. It's Rolanda. Real estate gave you wings to fly. Yes. What do you mean by that? As you described in your introduction, uh, when I walked out of an abusive marriage, my husband closed out the bank account, so I would have no choice but to go back to him. He didn't realize that that was really what I really needed to do to sort of jump off the cliff. Uh -huh. And when you push to the edge, you have no choice but to fly. You got it, Silva. There's more Rolanda next. Talk, listen, connect. Clinical depression. 
And um, Leslie talked about how at 11 years old, Kat, was, was, was it diagnosed or started to recognize the severe depression? Kat, what were you doing at 11? Because most kids, we think about 11-year-olds running around, playing with dolls, all the things that childhood brings. How did depression set into you? Well, um, it just, it, um, I think as mom said, it, it came like slowly. And then at one point, you know, I just think like, if I'd see like um, all those movies and everything where all those kids are always playing and laughing and like, and it would just, it would just be like, um, I would like almost cry to seeing it. Like, that's not what life is like, you know? It's like, um, I just knew it like wasn't normal. I just couldn't experience any of that. I would think that'd be real tough to be 11 years old, going to school depressed, coming home depressed. A lot of people say, oh, you just have an attitude. Get over it. Did they pick on you, try to say, get out of that depression, shake it? Kids aren't supposed to be depressed. Did people understand what you were going through? Well, I don't think even I did. Like, so I don't, I don't people like never even got the chance to do that. I was, I was just like, um, this is how I'm living. I, I didn't, so, so people never did stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, I would just go to school, you know, act normal, how I thought was normal. But like looking back on it, I can't really remember much. My mind is like blocked it out. Mm -hmm. But I like, I like remember like one time the class is supposed to do like these shape poems, you know, this cute little sixth grade thing. And, uh, and everybody, it was around Christmas time, and everybody did them up like angels and everything. And like, I'm so happy because it's Christmas and all that stuff. And and so what I had done actually was a tombstone. <laughs> a tombstone? Oh, Mom, I bet you knew there were problems then. <laughs> I, I, I remember standing up, you know, and everybody sort of like laughed it off. And, you know, but I, I would got up and like I did mine on a tombstone. Remember my my teacher like sort of looked down a bit and then looked up with a smile on her face, you know. It was like, it was like, I think from people, like I think my teacher knew that something was wrong and, and my mom, it's just, it was, I don't know, maybe a state of denial or something, but. So how are you guys dealing with it now? Did you, what do you, what do you do to get over severe depression? Well, Kat went into a hospital. Yeah. She was hospitalized for four months at Columbia Presbyterian. And what did they do? Well, um, well, the first hospital, Columbia, um, it was it was one of those, it was a state hospital. And I was the only kid on the ward. I was like 11 years old going into like this psychiatric hospital. Wow. And um, it was one of the places where you had to get special privileges to go outside. It was in the city. So, and there were, it was just like one floor. And so I, I would just like hang out Everybody would smoke. I, I didn't smoke then. Um, and sit around, smoke, play cards, watch TV, and then now and then go to go to the psychiatrist and have counseling. It was, um, I don't know. It was just. It was very. I was very. Felt very enclosed. Uh, Are you still dealing with depression now, or is this something you get over or get out of? Well, it's not something like get out of that sounds like this quick like action thing you're just like jumping out it's it's very it's a slow process I mean it was for me like I didn't want to be cured I wanted to be sad because it was like my home I was familiar with it I didn't want to be happy because if I was happy I get out of the hospital and face pressures of life and then like it was I had this whole philosophy that life was was hell and like but that was your depression yeah, exactly. thinking and, and but now that I, but now that I'm out of that I 
I realize like sometimes if I just feel sad, as any normal person would, I think, am I getting back into depression? I don't want to, you know. So what I hear you saying is, is sometimes even going to a hospital, whatever it is, is getting that therapy, getting clinical analysis, trying to work through understanding what, what you're going through. Is that what I hear you saying? Mm -hmm. Okay. There are also some natural remedies. Judith, we're going to get to you when we come back about the natural remedies for people at home who may be suffering from depression. When many women cannot find help for their depression, they self-medicate. Coming up, we're going to meet a woman who became addicted to speed and alcohol just to get over her chronic depression. We'll be right back in a minute. Bold Radio, it's Rolanda. I've heard people who say walking is the body's way of praying. It's just that involuntary thing that, that God put us together to do. You know, it's true. And the thing that athletes do when they're preparing for an event is they do sports-specific training. So if I'm going to do a cycling event, I cycle. Mm -hmm. Well, walking is our activity for our event, which is life. There's more Rolanda next. Talk, listen, connect. telling us during the break that during that uh, not only going into uh, clinical therapy um, but also taking medication help them overcome their uh, severe depression. Judith, there are also other ways, very natural ways you say to overcome depression. How, what would you suggest? Well, well, first of all, if you're in a clinical depression, these natural methods are really not going to make enough of a boost. So sometimes people need to take a short course of some sort of antidepressant or mood-altering drug and at the same time perhaps begin something like learning how to meditate, learning how to breathe, uh, learning how to use food. There are various different foods that affect the production of serotonin in the brain. Not in the enormous way that Prozac will regulate it, mm -hmm. but it can make a difference when you start exercising, when you start perhaps mm -hmm. doing yoga or Tai Chi, to know that you're taking control. Because I think this is what we've heard from Ellen and from Kat and Leslie. A depression makes you feel like you've lost every bit of control that you ever had. Your seesaw which used to sort of balance a little bit from good to bad, good days, bad days, good hours, bad hours, suddenly it's always on the bad side. Mm -hmm. And doing a lot of these various natural things can really make you feel like you have the motivation and commitment to do this. You may need some medication at the beginning, however. Um, you also mentioned herbs. Is yes. that What type of herbs would help well, you? Well, St. John's Ward is the one that has been actually clinically tested. It's not you know, on the market as a drug. It is an herb, which means that it works very slowly. It works systemically, and it may take a period of months our society really goes for the quick fix. We really want to put a pill in our mouth and have it work immediately. That's not what St. John's Ward or Mother Ward or Pasquay Flower or any of these wonderful herbs will do. And by the way, if you are currently on a medication like Prozac or Wellbutrin or Paxil, you can begin taking herbs as long as there's a period of five hours in between taking the medication and the herb. Mm. I 
want you to meet Marjorie Daugherty and her husband, Joseph. They're from Pittman, New Jersey. Marge suffers from depression, and she also has another form of depression that is more difficult to diagnose and often more difficult to control. Marge is manic depressive. The symptoms include extreme mood swings from extreme highs where you can experience grandiose but unrealistic plans and ideas to a phase of extreme depression. The cycle repeats over and over again. That's got, is this, oh boy, how do you deal with this day to day? And how bad has it gotten? Well, day to day, I take medication. Mm -hmm. I see a psychiatrist and a therapist to help me through it. I have the support of my husband to help me through it. You know, that's the day to day, you know. I think you're, Joseph, you're, you're a strong man in yeah. love with your wife, because there are a lot of folks I would bet wouldn't stay in a relationship where one person is manic depressive. I'm sure it can break up relationships, but I think the reason they break up is the partner doesn't take the time to learn about the illness. Once you learn about the illness, you understand that the person isn't doing something on purpose and that their behaviors that you might take personal aren't really meant personally. Like what? Um, my wife, if, when she begins to become manic, um, her language will become aggressive. Um, she'll picket family members. What a manic depressive will do is usually pick at the people they care the mo about the most because um, they're safe. She knows I love her. Mm -hmm. So it's safe to pick at me. It's not a, a thought process. It's just happened. She's not going to go outside the house and attack other people verbally. But it's very easy to do it to me. It's a safe ground. Mm -hmm. uh, I had to learn not to respond to that. So it's aggressive behavior, not necessarily being sad, but sometimes more aggression that, that's depression? Um, in, in mania, her behavior would be aggressive. Um, throwing bureaus? Throwing down what? Down the second floor step, a bureau, lifting throwing a bureau. Throwing a bureau down the second floor step? Yeah. Well, what happens is you come, you get, your head gets filled up so much with, when you get manic, your head, your thoughts race real fast. I mean, your thinking is so fast and your actions are so fast that you don't, you have no control over it. And I did. I picked up a dresser all by myself and threw it down my steps because I was angry. My strength is just unbearable. I mean, when I get manic, I mean, I can move furniture. I can, I mean, one day, you know, my husband came home and I was in a manic state. I moved all the furniture around in every room in the house in one day by the time he got home from work, you know, and he was like, you know, so sometimes he has no idea what he's coming home to. But see, when I get manic and I get into those episodes, I crash and then there goes the depression, mm. you know, and the depression can be sitting on the sofa for days and days or weeks at a time, not eating, not sleeping, not doing anything, feeling hopeless, feeling like I want to die, I just want to go to sleep and not wake up. But, so it's like an up and down thing. But the proof that you're sitting here, that all of you, says that there's hope for anyone who is going through this depression in families as well, especially people who are trying to understand what their loved ones are going through. When we come back, we're going to talk about electroshock therapy. In severe cases of depression, when all else fails, sometimes electric shock has been moved in as a popular treatment. We're going to talk with someone who believes it works miracles and a woman who says it does not. She says it's ruined her life. We'll continue our talk about depression right after this.
It's Rolanda. I was shocked to find out that there was a Healthy Marriages Coalition. We really believe a great marriage is something we can learn to do. Yeah. And we believe that we can turn around most of the marriages today. And we also believe that we can help people make great choices when it comes to picking a partner. Ah, now okay? see, that's the part I, I oh, before yeah. you get married. Oh, I've been there with you. Well, girl, break it okay. down. <laughs> There's more Rolanda next. was saying before she realized she was a manic depressive that she was trying to take things on her own, self-medicating to try to deal with her bouts of depression. What were you doing, Marge? I mean, you were doing alcohol and speed, is that right? Right. I was, at a very young age, I started, I started having the racing thoughts and, you know, the behavior and stuff, and I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't talk to no one about it at the time. I had no idea what was going on. So I would drink. You know, I would drink alcohol to bring me down from the mania so it would stop. You know, when I got depressed, I started doing speed to get me out of the depression so I would feel happy, so I would feel, you know, able to do things and hang out with my friends and mm -hmm. have energy and and all that. And that went on for 17 years I did that. Mm -hmm. That's right. And I went to rehab. And when I got out of rehab, I was thinking about suicide. And um, I was taken to a doctor who finally diagnosed me as manic depressive. And it all came together. You know, the addiction and self-medicating myself and, you know, that there was an illness, you know, when I was 13 or 14 years old mm -hmm. that wasn't, you know, that no one knew about. For years, electroshock therapy had a frightening stigma around it. Many of us remember Jack Nicholson and one flew over the cuckoo's nest. Well, that image is quickly changing. Electroshock has become very popular in treating severe cases of depression when all other therapies have failed. I want you to meet Linda Andre. Linda was suffering from severe depression, underwent electroshock therapy. She won. She now, you say you have regrets because of the therapy. Well... Um, I think it's important to say, first of all, that the only thing that's changed since one flew over the cuckoo's nest is that more electricity is used now. Doctors oh like to claim gosh. that less electricity is used, but the machines as they're designed now actually put out more electricity than those of the 50s or 60s or of the 70s. So that is a myth. It's a very popular myth. It's a, it's a press, basically a press campaign to sell shock, but it is not true. What did it do to you? I had shock um, in the mid-80s. I was lied to, as all people are. I was told that my memory would come back. What happens with shock treatment is that you always get memory loss. Everyone gets memory loss. How much of your memory have you lost? I lost about five years of my memory that I don't even know anything that happened, including after the shock treatment as well as before the shock treatment, including jobs and college and, and a lot of my life that I would never willingly have given up had I known that there was even a chance that this could happen, let alone a certainty that it would happen. But I wasn't told, like everybody who gets shock treatment. In fact, doctors mislead people all the time about this. So can you sue them or something? What kind of repercussions can you have for someone who, used, who took what are the most precious things of life, your memories? Well, it's difficult to sue when you're a mental patient. You know, and one of the things I've been seeing on the show is that 
you know, treatment is um, being seen as something benign. And it's not always benign. There are costs to identifying yourself as diseased or mentally ill if that's how you choose to look at what's going on with you. And one of the costs is the stigma that follows you the rest of your life. So treatment is not just, you know, a happy ending, a good outcome, even if it's successful. There's, there's a high cost to seeing yourself that way and to being seen that way. And that was one of the reasons why um, I wasn't able to succeed in a lawsuit, by, why no one has yet because of the stigma. Um, I think people should realize that the cure is sometimes worse than the symptoms. There are worse things than being depressed, and one of them was losing my memory, losing myself, not being ever able to go back to work, losing my friends, losing my family. Well, that would make you even more depressed, yes, I would think. Yes, it would. And the only thing that saved me afterwards was that I was so angry about what happened to me that I took that anger and I put it to use. I formed a group for people who have had shock treatment called Committee for Truth in Psychiatry, and we fight to have people informed about it. Mm. When we come back, we're going to talk about what you can do, whether you're feeling a little blue or think you might be severely depressed. What do you do? Where do you turn? We'll talk about that after this. for women, it's Rolanda. What kind of mood are you feeling? Well, there is a bond that those of us in civilian life cannot ever understand, the bond of being in combat with fellow Marine and seeing him fall. That's something those of us who don't venture into the fields of fire don't really understand. People ask me all the time, do they believe in the war in Iraq? My answer is somewhat different. They believe in each other. Mm, boy, I got chills the on that. Corps. There's more Rolanda next. Talk, listen, connect. who says if you're a woman suffering from depression, you are not alone. Tell me. Well, this is true. There are thousands of groups across the United States that really meet and offer people support, both people who have depression, people who have manic depression, their friends and their families, and these are life-saving groups, and people need to know that they exist, and they're out there, and it's just another form as an adjunct to treatment. It's not a substitute, but it is something that's out there for them. Okay. Thank you. We were talking about that electroshock, and a lot of people got very afraid of that. What would you say to balance what our last guest just said about it stealing your memory and making you perhaps more depressed than you were to start out with? Okay. I'd actually uh, like two comments about what's been said, but in answer to that, uh, there are people who have catastrophic responses. There's no question about that. Um, as far as is known, it's very infrequent. Everybody does have memory problems that uh, has ECT, and that's been studied um, uh, v very rigorously. Um, the memory problems are typically uh, memory problems for the three weeks of experiences prior to a course of treatment and during the course of treatment. Not true at all. Okay. As, as, as I said, as I said, you know, I, I, there are people, perhaps like like yourself, who've had catastrophic reactions. I, I set up the ECT service at Montefiore Medical Center. But that would be an extreme case, don't that, you think? That's an no. extreme case. Okay. Most no. people that have ECT. Uh, are, are benefit from it. I mean, you, you could bring in a hundred other people in here. Where are your talking. studies? My, my father had desperately depressed. Because it and can be hereditary he, depression. He, absolutely. Joseph, he, he, had, he, he had a grand mal seizure, dislocated his shoulder. He was mm -hmm. never all right after that. Joseph, when, well, when was I'm, I'm not trying to take sides here. It's just that I have a very good friend who actually facilitates 
one of those groups of people meet about depression or bipolar depression. And periodically, his depression overrides his medication. He has no alternative but to go to the hospital, mm -hmm. or he's going to commit suicide. Well, that's and he goes into a series of uh, shock treatments, and he, he thinks it's the best thing in the world. Yeah, well, that's why we're him. giving all different sprays of information here so that you can find what's best for you in dealing with depression. Yes, sir? Yeah, but, uh, Rolanda, what I don't understand is that, okay, with a batting average such as the one we're hearing here now, how is it that the uh, psychiatric component right, could continually endorse this shock treatment when we have such low, you know, results. We don't really have any results as opposed to using psychotropic, psychotropic medication. The, the effectiveness of ECT that, have been, that has been shown in published studies is about 95%, okay? It is the most effective treatment, not just in psychiatry, but in all of medicine. For four weeks. Yeah, I have a question. Um, you talk about identifying, identifying depression in yourself. Um, I, I am familiar with the signs of character, characteristics of somebody who is depressed. What would you say is a good, indiscreet way of maybe helping them identify that they may need some help? Good um, question. And, and what's the best way of going about Excellent doing that? Excellent question. I would say to first ask them, when you're in a discussion about you know anything that that's not dealing with their problems do you remember a time when you were really happy did you do you remember something that that made you feel like things were all right in the world you had a place in the world and other people liked you and respected you and if the person is able to identify that time then you say have you felt that way lately i mean you may be able to to allow them to think back to some time where they didn't feel this way and say, yes, there's a gigantic, a dramatic difference. I'm not sleeping. I'm eating badly. I have no interest in sex. There is something wrong in my life. And maybe in that way you can engage them in a conversation about what they might do about it. Yeah, From they, the audience. They did that to me. Well, uh, what I need to know is a uh, severely depressed person, as far as cost, how, what, what does it run, you know, just to have like therapy, if, if that and medication if it turns out that's all they need. Well, I went to um, a state hospital, which is um, your insurance might cover it. Um, the second hospital I went to, everybody was on insurance. Um, sometimes it's not very reliable, like some people had to leave because their insurance ran out. Mm -hmm. But there are sources that you can go to when you have no money because um, everybody gets depressed and everybody can get help. I mean, there are ways that you can do it. Some things are really costly, but um, some aren't, though. Okay, we'll be back in a minute. You made your point. You did. If you need some help, National Depressive and Manic Depressive Association. 1-800-82-826-3632. 1-800-82-826-3632 is what that is there. So drop that down in case you need some help and, and you have some questions. Yes, ma'am. Hi, I'm Dr. Ravella Levin, and one of the things that's been left out is that the major cause of depression is guilt. People who are depressed have much stronger sense of guilt than ordinary people do, and it just crushes you down so that you 
all the way down, you can't even find yourself because you've got this big, fat, strong conscience really persecuting you and being very mean to you. Mm. And if you want to go into therapy, that's one of the things you would have to be working Dealing on. Dealing with your guilt feelings. Right. Thank you for bringing that up. You're welcome. Other questions here? Yes, ma'am. Come on. I wanted to know, by chance, if a person is very depressed, do they master depression by smiling a lot and making other people smile? Hmm. I think so. I, I think that it's very hard to smile, though, if you're depressed. It really is. I mean, it, it's sort of saying, make believe that you feel okay. And then if you make believe, other people will make believe with you. And if you do it long enough, maybe it'll work. I think it's, it's a, a very weak substitute, though, for a lot of the other more natural things you could do. I want to thank you so much. And uh, like we said, call that number if you're suffering from depression. And we hope you learned something a bit today. You might be able to lend a hand to somebody else who's not feeling happy. We'll be, see you the next time on Rolanda. Goodbye, everybody. And I'm sorry I didn't get to your question. We ran out of and I'm Rolanda Watts, and I just want to thank you for letting me be a part of your weekend. I certainly hope this information today about depression and mental health and suicide has given you a better understanding of this illness, and uh, maybe you can help someone. No matter what problems you're dealing with, we want to help you find a reason to keep living, certainly, by calling 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. That is the Suicide Prevention Lifeline. You can call there and you can be connected to a skilled, trained counselor who deals with crisis or, front, or works from a crisis center in your area. This is any time of the day, 24-7. If you think you're having feelings of committing suicide, please call this number, 1-800-273-TALK, 1-800-273-8255. I want to thank you so much for being with me today. Go out and make a difference in somebody's life with this information that you've gathered today. That's our call to action. Go out and do something good. Be the rainbow in someone else's cloud, as Auntie Maya Angelou would say. But go out and have a rocking week. Thank you so much for listening. Go back and enjoy all of my archives. And um, just pick a show and listen in your car or on the treadmill this week or while you're working just uh, or while you're cleaning the kitchen. Just tune in and listen in. Please be sure to follow me in social media at Rolanda Watts. That's R-O-L-O. -O. Don't forget that O in the middle. R-O-L-O-N-D-A-W-A-T-T-S. At Rolanda Watts on Insta, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Follow me there. Can't wait to catch up with you during the week. And also, pick up a copy of my romance novel. I love that Amazon is calling it a romance suspense novel because I got a cop and a journalist and hurricanes and a hostage situation. But it's also a romance because I have a woman who gets back a second chance as her first love. It's an interracial romance story, and I think you'll really enjoy it. It deals with race and class, but it also proves the point that hashtag love endures all. Check it out. And you know what? Destiny and Chase on the cover of my book actually look like Megan and Prince Harry. It's totally uncanny. But please, check it out. I think you'll really enjoy it. And ironically, you know, I dealt with mental uh, depression. Destiny in my book goes through a bout of depression after she finds out about her husband's affair. 
And I think that uh, that affects a lot of us. But I think it was Chase, the love of her life, who pulled her out of that depression. Who knows what would have happened had she not had someone else in her life who pulled her out of that cloud. So go out there and uh, pick up a copy of Destiny Lingers. Take it with you as you're traveling throughout this vacation time. And also, you got my podcast wherever you go. Hey, I'm Ro on the go. I'm going to go with you everywhere. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening. Now go out there and do something good. You can order a copy of Destiny Lingers right now at Amazon.com, also Barnes & Noble, or wherever you get your favorite books. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast and give me a rating or a review. Want to see this show about depression from the 1990s when it was originally aired? Go to Rolanda Watts Channel on YouTube. That's Rolanda Watts Channel on YouTube and look up depression and you can watch what you just saw. This is radio you want to watch. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.